you're listening to the Daily Dose of Wood podcast, hosted by Jimmy Jernigan, BPW. Loyal listeners. What's going on, How we doing? We got another episode of the Daily Dose of Wood podcast. We're back. Was this EP 14? I think so. I think this is episode 14. We got a big, 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 big time celebrity guest coming on. We got Billy Baldwin of the Baldwin acting dynasty out there in Hollywood. They've been taking over Hollywood for a long time and... uh, it's good to get a big name like that on our pod. Definitely. We're looking forward to talking to him. We got that coming up on this episode. We also got a new segment alert. <laughs> new segment alert. Uh, we're going to call it party time. Party time. Party time. Here's the scenario. You have an opportunity to choose three people throughout history, anyone dead or alive. Okay. And you're having a sit down dinner with them. So you get to pick three people. Who are the three people you're going to pick? All right, all right. So you want to start us off with this segment since yeah, you uh, get, came up with this? Yeah, I'll hit the ground running. First overall pick is Chris Farley from okay. you know the late actor R.I.P. Tommy Boy, Black Sheep, Matt Foley from Saturday Night Live. Uh, yeah, he's just the funniest guy to ever exist on the planet. I would love to have a sit down conversation with him. Uh, number two, probably George Washington. Wow, the history buff yeah, there. Yeah, I'm a big history guy, and uh, you know he had great tactics and strategy. I would like to go over that. So when I start my own revolution, definitely from Andrew Cuomo, and <laughs> uh, yeah, so I want to I want to learn a lot from George Washington and see what life was like back. Yo, imagine life in the ni- uh, 1770s. It's crazy. No I- air conditioner, no nothing like that. That must have fucking sucked. Okay, got it off track. And my third pick, probably the Bagel Boss guy. Wow. You're not God or my father or my boss. I just think George Washington, Bagel Boss Guy, and Chris Farley and me at a sit-down dinner would just be outrageous. That would outrageous be fun. something for the ages, definitely. And we could always use the Bagel Boss Guy as a scapegoat. <laughs> yeah. so. Let's hear uh, Jello Ball. Jello Ball, what do you got for your top three party time sit-down dinner? Yeah, so I'm going with uh, Kevin Hart. He's always a good laugh, good guy to have at dinner, I feel like. He's shorter than me, so it makes me be a little bit taller. Okay. Uh, next one. Next one's Margot Robbie. She's easy on the eyes. Oh. So get it in. Get it in. Look at. And then I'm gonna go with Mark Twain. I want to be able to see what's going through his head when he wrote all his books. Maybe influence him and be like Mark Twain, inspired by Jello Ball. So you're planning Name a book. Name one Mark Twain book. And an album. Name one Mark Twain book. Huckleberry Finn. Okay. Right, we're gonna have to fat chat that because I don't know one Mark <laughs> Twain book. All right, my top three, I'm going to have to go with Conor McGregor, obviously number one. That's a given. Everyone knows my love for Conor, and uh, if there I can meet anybody, it would obviously be him, mm-hmm. which will happen one day. We're very close to that. A couple of years, give it. You guys been DMing. No, no. Once, once the pod takes off, he'll definitely want to come on. Number two, obviously Drake. I mean, these are givens. Love Drake. Just gets better and better as time goes on with his music and he's everything he does. Yeah, he's, he's the definitely the GOAT in my book and a lot of people's books. And number three, did I say three before? This is three now. I'm going to have to go with Post Malone, man. Good vibes all around. Never never looks like he's having a bad time. Always looks like he's in high spirits. I love Bud Light guy. drinking Bud Lights and just chilling. I don't smoke cigs, but I'm sure we would uh, get if after we it in a nice beer pong sick. game. Nice little, nice little daytime. I know you would. Those. You're a big Nicky team guy. Okay, okay. All right. And um, we got the fat check. Huckleberry Finn did right. No, no. Mark Twain did write Huckleberry Finn. So Bubo, good shit. Nice, very well. He knows his books. 
This interview is brought to you by iRe TV, the best IP TV at the best price, supporting the most devices. iRe TV is on Roku, Apple TV, Smart TV, Android phones and tablets, as well as Fire Stick. Watch iRe TV on iPhone or iPad, and also their web player works on any browser. For drama, news, sports, boxing, WWE, movies, adult, streaming pay-per-view with League Pass packages included, choose iRe TV. Video on demand is also included. Low monthly and annual discount prices are at iretv.co. That is I-R-E-T-V.co. iRe TV, the best TV. All right, we now welcome on to the Daily Dose Wood podcast, Mr. Billy Baldwin. <laughs> Billy, thanks for joining us. Thrilled to be here. You are uh, an actor yourself. You've had a star role in a number of movies, TV shows. I'm just going to list a few here for our, our listeners. Backdraft, Backdraft 2, Silver, Flatliners, Internal Affairs, Virus, been on Gossip Girl, Too Old to Die Young, and Northern Rescue, which you are the star actor in and you help produce. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, Northern Rescue is a show that I pitched with a group of other people uh, both in Canada and in, in Los Angeles. We sold it to the CBC in Canada, so we had a Canadian production partner. We sold it to Netflix. It's sort of a family drama in the same vein as um, uh, Party of Five. These shows are before your time, but your, yeah. your, your mothers would know Party of Five and Parenthood, sh- shows like that, hard-hitting dramas that get into real family issues. My character is a search and rescue commander. I'm struggling because I'm trying to raise my three children on my own. My wife, after she passes away, her sister, my sister-in-law invites me to come back to my hometown. So I'm in a big urban search and rescue program, like in the Boston area. She invites me to come back to my hometown where I was big man on campus 25, 30 years ago. And uh, I decide to take her up on it because I'm worried about my kids growing up in the big city while I'm preoccupied with work and their mother's no longer around, she says, you come by here and I'll help, and she's gonna, and my sister-in-law is going to help me raise the kids. So uh, it was a really, really great concept. We killed it with the first season. Uh, there were some problems with production and schedule and budget, and I'm not sure if we're looking at it. It's, it's not looking like we're going to have a second season. Well, hurricane season's right around the corner, and my dad might need some help when he gets deployed. Yeah, yeah well, I, there's, there's a little bit of a difference between pretending you could do it on television. <laughs> you know that commercial? I'm not a doctor, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last <laughs> night. <laughs> Yeah, that's me. I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express. I don't. I, I know nothing. Actually, I do know a little bit about it. I mean, your father could probably brush me up on my skills, and I might be able to. I could. I could climb a ladder or run a hose or something. Yeah. You appeared on Forgetting Sarah Marshall. You had a bunch of hilarious cameos, and that personally is one of my favorite movies of all time. What was it yeah. like being on set with all those hilarious actors and actresses? You know, I wasn't on the set very long. I only worked, as you could tell, they always compress what everybody's doing, so they got me in in and out of there in two or three days, but. I will say that two funny things about that is at the premiere, uh, I went to the Chateau Marmont Hotel for the after party. It was Jonah Hill, Sasha Baron Cohen. Help me, guys. The guy who starred in the film in Sarah Marshall. Oh, Jason Siegel. So Jason and Seth and all those guys were all sitting together. And I think there was one or two others, but like the Kings of like young comedy at that time. And when I walked in after the premiere, they all got up like I was a mafia made man. They all got up one by one. They all started clapping and they all stood up one by one and they all came over and they gave me a big hug. They're like, dude, but they were, they were trying to make me feel good. They were, they obviously were exaggerating, playing the whole Hollywood, like, I love your work, man. <laughs> they, were, they were saying like, you stole the movie and you were so, which wasn't true, but they were really trying to make me feel good. And they were really pleasantly surprised 
with the impact that the few lines that I had uh, had on the movie. And I couldn't believe it. I went home that night. I was kind of walking on cloud nine. I told my wife and my kids, I said, like Sasha Baron Cohen told me, you know, that I, uh, that he thought I, that I, whatever, I did a great job or I stole the movie. I certainly didn't steal the movie in the few scenes that I was in, but it was funny. There was a scene that we did and they cut away from me to a reaction and they had me come in and they had me looping later after the fact they had me doing AD or dialogue replacement after months later, they said, um, on the set, there's something that happened that never happened before. I was, we came up with this riff where I kept saying, can you say Warren commission? Can you say magic bullet theory, you know, beauty pageant reject or whatever we were saying. So I would be doing the line and then the director would just yell something. That's all. That's amazing. And I would say what he said, but after the fact, one of my favorite contributions I've ever made to that film or any film, I was doing ADR and they had me changing a lot of stuff. And I finished, I wrapped, I was done. I only had to be there for like 15, 20 minutes. I did a whole bunch of changes and we, for every change they wanted, I improvised two or three other changes just so they could have it in their bank in case they wanted to use it. And then I drove away and I literally got in the car and I got two blocks away and I called them back on my cell phone, the director. And I said, you've got to let me come back and do one more thing. I just, I, I just got a great idea. I've got to do it. He's like, bro, I left when you left. I locked up. I'm in the car. I'm on my way home for, you know, to see my kids. I said, I, I, I've got to come back. Are you working tomorrow? Are you working later this week? He says, yeah, I'm seeing some people tomorrow. I said, it'll take me 30 seconds. What time is your first, is the first place? He goes at 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, I'll be there at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I walk up to the microphone and I said, can you say Dixical? (laughs) (laughs) And and that wasn't, that wasn't in the movie. No, that was never scripted. It was never in the movie. And there's a scene where they're, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm talking about this guy, his girlfriend bit his penis off or she cut it off with a knife or something. And she throws it out the window (laughs) into a snowbank. And I keep riffing on these lines and, and she's describing it from the, the coroner's report, like whatever the situation was, she cut off his penis and threw it out the window. And I'm like, can you say, and they on my face for that. And they say, can you say, and they cut to her reaction. And I said, Dixical. <laughs> and that was one of, my, one of my favorite contributions to my entire movie career, a hundred movies and 30 years later was Dixical. <laughs> So before all this acting started, it was just a kid from Long Island. Tell us about how you got started. I understand you're a Calvin Klein model. When when did this whole dynasty Hollywood Baldwin thing come together? Did you always know that you wanted to become an actor? Never, never. I never took an acting class. I never took a guitar lesson. I never took a singing lesson. Uh, I got wrapped up in wrestling when I was in like fourth grade, fifth grade through a family that your dad knows well, the Bevilacquas yep. from Massapequa where I grew up. And I was wrestling. The three things, the four things that my father sort of instilled in me, I call it like the four sides of the diamond, uh, academics, athletics, arts, and activism. In high school, I was, uh, you know, a conference champion and I was all county. I placed in the counties and I, I won a lot more matches than I lost, but I was certainly not good I was certainly was not as good as your dad. I think your dad was a county champ, and I think your dad placed in the States, and I, your dad wrestled Division One for Hofstra. Yeah. Talking about wrestling, you're a big wrestling supporter yourself. You're, you've always been into the wrestling. What traits and skills have you carried over from your wrestling career into your acting career? Well, the, the gift of wrestling, I would say the three things that it, it instills, the three values that it instills more than anything else is uh, work ethic, discipline and mental toughness. 
definitely those three can and should transcend the sport and they should be sort of the gift that keeps on giving throughout the pursuit of your career, raising your children in, in many other facets and aspects of your life. Um, they served me well. So I would say those things, work ethic, discipline, and, and mental toughness were, were the three. Can you say, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I have to, I have to ask, uh, being the age that we are, what is your favorite Justin Bieber song? Oh boy. Uh, I, I'm a believer. Uh, you know, it's family. I don't know the whole catalog, but you know, I know, I know the songs everything. that all the girls swoon over baby and stuff like that. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to finagle a deal where I'm trying to get him to do a charity event for me up in Toronto right now. So I'll let you know how that goes. I'll be texting. Hey, yeah. while we're on that subject still, I know you get asked a lot of, about these uh, two a lot, but I want to bring up the wedding. Was who was the most fucked up at the wedding, and what was the highlight of your night at that wedding? Well, I got to send you some pictures of, uh, of of me hanging out with Usher. We went into the photo booth together, and I saw Sandy. I was probably you know probably uh, who was the most hammered. It was fun to meet uh, Justin's uh, fa- all of his family, his aunts and uncles and cousins from Canada. Not Hollywood people at all. His mother and father were there. They're no longer together. His father's remarried with a young a young child, a young boy who's probably like eight or nine years old now. It's kind of cool to spend some time and get to know his family a little bit. They had a lot of um, what's Will Smith's son's name? Jaden. Yeah, Jaden was there. He was he was he was he was feeling no pain. <laughs> there was some guy there. There was some guy there that I don't know his name, but he was with a cane. This is really tough Mexican buddy of my family's that's been friendly. He's a like godfather to, to Haley. And he, his name is Marcos. Okay. And Marcos grew up with my wife, China, in L.A. He's like a t- super tough Mexican, like, you know, kickboxer. Yeah. And there was this dude who had, like, tattoos up his, up his neck, and he couldn't walk right. He was on a cane. And he got on the dance floor. He was, like, 30, and he got on the dance floor and started, like, bumping and grinding with everybody. <laughs> and he went, he went over to my daughter, who's, like, 15, and he started doing, like, all the sexy dance with my daughter. Oh, God. And, uh, and my, my friend Marcos went right up to him and kicked the cane out from underneath him <laughs> on the dance floor. He said, move along. Move along. Can you say Death Wish? You're, uh, but you were asking me before about how I got started in show business. I never answered you. And it was essentially, you know, I was my brother was in college at George Washington University. And he was there for three years. And he had this dream. And he... Put on, screeched on the brakes to finish his undergraduate degree and go to law school to become a lawyer. And he decided he, get out of nowhere, none of us knew this. He had this secret fantasy to become an actor. And he had a friend at GW that convinced him, you got to go, you got to do it now. If you don't do it now, you'll never do it. And you got to transfer to NYU. And he auditioned for Strasburg at NYU and he was accepted. And I think he was given a scholarship and he was there for like a year and a half studying and impressing a lot of people in New York and some in the theater community and in the casting community. And then he went up getting on a soap opera and that was like the coolest thing we ever heard of. Like my, my, all of a sudden my brother was on a soap opera. He was making more in a month than my father made in a year. And, um, my father used to take his television set into it. My father was a teacher and a coach at Mass People High School as well. My father coached the, the football and rifle team and he would bring the TV in and the soap opera came on at 12 o'clock and they'd watch through the first commercial break. If my brother appeared between the opening credits in the first commercial break, everyone got into it, but my father would, oh, and if he didn't, they were like, no, Mr. Baldwin, leave it on. He's like, no, no, no we got to get to work. And he'd unplug the TV, but he had this little portable with like a coat hanger and it had lousy reception. And they'd watch like the first five minutes of every episode to see if they can catch my brother. And that was like the biggest deal in the world to us. And, you know, I kept coming 
home from Binghamton every time for Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. And I would go visit my brother in New York, sometimes on the set. Sometimes we meet for coffee and a cannoli. Sometimes we we meet in, under other social circumstances. And every time I met him with somebody in the business, my business doesn't have the smartest people in the world, but it's got a lot of incredibly smart people. It doesn't have the most, it definitely has some of the most talented and creative people in the world when it comes to art direction, set design, costume, hair, makeup, writing, definitely. And it has some of the most dynamic people, dynamic personalities in any business. And it has the most dysfunctional, broken, wounded, fucked up people in any business. So if you combine the brightest, some of the brightest, with some of the most talented and interesting, dynamic and wounded and broken people, every time I was around my brother, I would meet... Sometimes it would be a, yeah, I met Demi Moore when she was like 19 years old and she was on General Hospital. And sometimes it was a, a pretty gorgeous young starlet, but a lot of times it was a writer or a, a, a costume designer or an art director. And I just couldn't believe how incredibly interesting these people were. And I thought that's part of what drew me to it. It wasn't just because my brother was doing this cool thing that none of us knew about. I, every time I was around him, I was meeting more and more interesting people and I was drawn to them. And then I decided the same thing. I finished Binghamton. I moved to New York and I, I jumped into my first acting class. I graduated 85. I lifeguarded at Tobey my final yep. summer. I was there two high school summers and four college summers. And after that Labor Day, I moved into the city and I took my first acting class. And the rest is history. I went up getting a couple of modeling gigs and took some classes. And then my first film was a Oliver Stone, Tom Cruise movie about Ron Kovic, born on the 4th of July who was from Massapequa and my father was his high school teacher. And my father used to take me to the Bronx VA when I was four or five, six years old. And I sat on the hospital floor with my trucks and my father would read the New York times to him because all they had was ABC, NBC and CBS. And he was paralyzed. And my father wanted to read novels to him and read the New York times. He'd read time magazine, Newsweek magazine, the Sunday New York times. He'd read a couple of books to him and I would play on the floor of his hospital room in the Bronx VA when I was in 66, 67, 68, 69 and there somewhere. When I told Oliver Stone that story, he's like, if you can walk and chew gum, you know, like you're in this movie, we're going to find something for you to do. So my very first gig that I got, which was my second audition that I went on after I signed with my agent on my second audition, I got not a starring role. I was like a glorified extra with a couple of lines, but I was in the Philippines with Oliver Stone and Tom Tom Cruise. It's amazing. What was it like uh, preparing for a soldier's mm-hmm. role like that in your first, you know, one of your first gigs ever? Like, did you if have I, to... I told you, you would go rob a bank and steal 10 grand to have that experience if you could pay for it. It was amazing. We were in the jungle in the middle of nowhere in the Philippines with a, a crew of Vietnam vets. This guy, Captain Dale Dye, he's trained all of the, all of the big movies, Platoon, uh, born on the 4th of July and dozens of others. And we had full gear, full weapons, full weapons training, and not just an M16. I shot an M60, which is called the pig. It's giant cannon shoot shells that are like that big. And we had entrenching tools, which is that fold-up shovel. And we dug a perimeter in a command center. And I slept in a foxhole for a month training before we started shooting. And we ate meals ready to eat and pineapple and drank water. That was it. We drank wow. water for a month, ate pineapples, cut them with machetes in the jungle. And we ate those, those meals ready to eat that you just like pour hot water into. And you eat, they're called MREs. MREs. I dropped like 15 pounds. 
during during the training and they landed helicopters in the jungle we all boarded the helicopters and we flew like an hour and a half north to the set and as the helicopters were landing on the beach we were entering the first shot oliver was there he wasn't there with us for training the trainers were the actors were and tom cruise was oliver was not there when the helicopters lifted out of the jungle and landed on the beach we were entering the, sh- the cameras were rolling we, we literally walked onto the set into the first shot very salty uh, and very sucked out. <laughs> there any uh, movie, new movies for you coming up, or is there any talks of you and your brothers putting together something? I don't know, man. I'd love to work with my brothers. We'll see. We haven't had a lot of overlap with each other. I did an episode of 30 Rock one time, and the three of us, three of the four of us appeared in Born on the Fourth of July, Daniel, Stephen, and I. And I'd love to do something, but... Um, you know, there's, there's, there's publicly documented tension in my family right now because of some Trump issues. Oh, okay. And uh, my brother, Stephen, we all know Trump for decades and I'm more than an acquaintance of Trump's. I've known, known him for 30 years. I wouldn't say I'm, we're not friends, but I'm more than an acquaintance. And my brother, Stephen, knows him well and did The Apprentice, Celebrity Apprentice, more than one time. Let's just say I'm not a fan. I know the guy well enough to know uh, him personally to know about a lot of the, how he ripped off my friends in construction and, you know, how he treated some women that were friends of mine and including Marla Maples, his wife in my first acting class was with Marla Maples while she was dating him. And I knew I became like her therapist. I knew about them together for a year before Ivana Trump and before the New York post. Oh, so you got all the deets yeah. on that uh, relationship? I ugly, yeah, I got some inside. Yeah. And this is in 1987 I had that. Your son Vance uh, was diagnosed with cancer two years ago. What's, yeah. What was the challenges that you guys faced, your family has faced, when, you, when he was going through that? And how's he yeah. doing now? This year I was going to have him come over and say hi. I don't think he's around, but um, scary shit. Yeah. Scary shit. Stage four. You know, in his lungs and... Uh, you know, he did 28 rounds of chemotherapy crazy. over four months. And, uh, you know, he's just such a fucking stud. Uh, he has a friend that he grew up with here playing sports whose dad trains uh, a bunch of NBA stars and movie stars. And he trains Lance Armstrong for 20 years. And oh, wow. Lance had the same cancer. And my son's name is Vance. So when Lance heard about it. He called my son. He said to Peter, can I have Vance's phone number? I want to call him. And Lance called my son and they texted back and forth and he texted me every once in a while, but he got him on the phone and he said, what's your HCG? The two main blood panels are your alpha theta protein and your HCG. He said, what's your HCG? And he said, 1700 and it's supposed to be zero. And my son's was 1700. Wow. And Lance said, Vance, mine was 95,000. He goes, my lesion is all over my brain. I had cancer everywhere from head to toe when I was diagnosed. And he said, they didn't cure me. And I went on to win my seventh Tour de France. He goes, they cured me. And I won my first and my second. And all the way through, I had cancer. He goes, trust me, your life is going to be normal. You're going to beat this. You're going to, you're going to play basketball. If, you're going to want, if you want to play in college, you're going to be able to play. He goes, I won seven Tour de France and got married and had kids after I beat cancer. So hang in there. It's gonna get. It's gonna be an ugly six months, an ugly year, but you're gonna get there. And here's here, that's you know, here we are now. Really proud of him. No better motivation than that coming from uh, Lance Armstrong. Billy, thank you for uh, joining us. We appreciate you. I'll definitely send this over to you when we're done editing it up and uh, post it out there. 
Right on, right on. And let me know if you need any help, uh, you know, getting anybody. All right, and that wraps up this episode with Billy Baldwin. We'll be back next week. Peace. Irie TV, man. Go get your Irie TV, laddie.